Mark your calendars! The ADCES 24 Annual Conference parades into New Orleans August 9-12, through 12, 2024. Registration opens March 26, but you can start planning your trip now. Get ready to seize opportunities to connect, learn, and optimize your diabetes care and education practice. Stay tuned for updates at ADCES24.org. Hello, and welcome to the ADCES podcast, The Huddle, conversations with the diabetes care team. In each episode, we speak with guests from across the diabetes care space to bring you perspectives, issues, and updates that elevate your role, inform your practice, and ignite your passion. I'm Kirsten Yale, Research Manager at the Association of Diabetes Care and Education Specialists. Today, we're talking with Certified Diabetes Care and Education Specialist, Jamie Lee, about a hot topic that could extend your reach and amplify your impact. Jamie is a Wellness Outreach and Education Program Coordinator in the Lake Cumberland District Health Department in Kentucky, and recently started a telehealth program with support of the ADCES Foundation Reaching Out for Better Health Grant. Jamie joins us today to share how she got the program started, her tips and tricks, and what you can do to avoid some of the challenges she experienced. Jamie, welcome to the huddle. I'm glad to be here. And we are so happy to have you on, especially since we're talking about the Reaching Out for Better Health programs that ADCES kicked off last year. And we really appreciate, number one, you being the first group to do a podcast with us. And then number two, you know, I have had the opportunity to get to know you over this past year and really your commitment to working with these vulnerable populations, which is what the Reaching Out program is all about, you know, getting diabetes education or diabetes care and education out to these vulnerable populations that really aren't receiving it. So like I said, I've gotten the chance to get to know you and know the incredible work you're doing. I'd love for you to share that with our listeners and then maybe talk a little bit about your program. I would be glad to. Just to give you a little bit of background about me and pretty much to let you get used to hearing my hillbilly accent, (laughs) I'll just tell you a little bit about me. I am a RN, CDCES. I've been an RN for 36 years. Clearly, I graduated from nursing school when I was 10. <laughs> My work history, I do, it includes working in a hospital with some med surge background. I'm an old home health nurse, school nurse, but for the past 13 years, I've worked in public health as a diabetes educator, and it's just been a blessing to be able to do that. Just to give you a little bit more background about how we got started with the Reaching Out for Better Health grant, I work in a 10-county health department district in South Central Kentucky, and our district is really large geographically. So our team of three CDCESs spend a tremendous amount of time just simply traveling, which, you know, in the long run, y'all, that's just not cost-effective in itself. And especially when you travel the distance and maybe have several no-shows. So you're having a class for just a handful of people. And we all have experienced that and know how frustrating that is. Plus, I feel like that there's a whole demographic of people that we're just simply not reaching with our traditional classes. So we've been wanting to pilot something along the telehealth, the distance learning line in our district. And I'd actually discuss this with our state Kentucky Diabetes Prevention Program in Frankfurt. Because in Kentucky, we have a unique model, accredited DSMES classes. 
our health department classes are actually under the umbrella of the State Department of Public Health. So when our state diabetes prevention and control program applied for the Reaching Out for Better Health grant to provide diabetes education in Harlan, Kentucky, they asked me if we'd be interested in teaching and piloting this. And I just simply jumped on this opportunity because Harlan County has one of our highest rates of diabetes in our state. And currently, they don't have a source of comprehensive DSMES. Plus, Harlan's over 100 miles away from our district. So this was going to be a challenge, but something we were really excited to participate in. So Harlan, it sounds like through Harlan, you're really able to reach that vulnerable population that we were really targeting. And before we continue on, Jamie, I wanted to mention, you mentioned your hillbilly accent. I think it's lovely and it makes you so approachable. <laughs> so I love it. Keep going with it. So can you... Tell us a little bit about your telehealth program. I mean, that was one of the reasons that you were targeted and your application was awarded was this telehealth program. Can you talk a little bit about the implementation and your reach and what you've been able to do with it in Harlan County? Be glad to. First of all, we had to kind of figure out how we were going to do this. Like I said, Harlan County is over 100 miles away. It's over two hours away. And I wasn't really familiar with that area at all. The Harlan County Health Department is a partner for us with this grant. So I started out, just went to Harlan County, and I met with the nurse supervisor and actually the health department administrator there at Harlan County just to kind of brainstorm logistics and how the paperwork's going to flow and how are we going to do this. So actually there at the Harlan County Health Department, one of the first considerations you have to think about is internet connection because, you know, that's the world we live in now. In Harlan County, their internet wasn't always the best. Their conference room was actually on the second floor with no elevator. So we knew that this really wasn't going to be the best place to have class. Now, in Harlan County, there's an old train depot that's been renovated by the county extension office, and it's a community hub. It's a wonderful historical building. So we went there, met with the extension folks, and decided that this was probably going to be the best location for class because they have more reliable internet, and that's just the big deal. And the extension office agreed to fix a light meal after each class, which that was just a major plus, too. So now we had the location. We had the internet connection. So then we had to figure out this technology part, and I'm definitely not a techie person in any way. I've actually just taken like an online college course, and other than social media, that's just basically the extent of what I know technology-wise. So I sit down with our IT person, and he suggested that we consider Zoom meetings. It has a free app for phones or iPads, tablets. It's fairly simple to use. And I really think he figured that surely to goodness I could use this. <laughs> it also has a HIPAA compliant version that we could purchase. So he's like, okay, we'll go with Zoom. So here again, we started getting everything together to make this telehealth class happen. One of the first things that we realized to keep everything HIPAA compliant is that we had to develop a telehealth consent. So I actually looked at numerous telehealth consents. Most of those are for actually medical care, not necessarily education. So that had to be tweaked and developed it. And we knew right off that class participants on both ends, if we had a live class on one end, that they had to sign this as well as the distance learning class. And if anyone refused to sign this, they could not be a part of this educational class. 
And just by the way, no one's ever refused to sign this so far. <laughs> but the good thing was that the Reaching Out for Better Health grant allowed us to purchase some things that we had to have. So we had to have the HIPAA compliant version of Zoom, which costs right around $2,400 a year. Then we had to purchase, I'll call them eyeball cameras. I know there's probably a fancy name for them, but they've got big eyeballs to me. But anyway, one for the educator side and one for Harlan County. That way I could see them as well. We had to buy a projector and a projector screen for Harlan because the extension office didn't have that. We had to purchase a laptop for Harlan. And then we also went ahead and bought some food models and some like the foot models and just some general teaching tools. Because our goal was for every person, whether they were doing a face-to-face or telehealth class, for them to feel like they were experiencing personalized quality DSMES. So then we had to start thinking about the booklets and print the materials and the handouts that we give people in class because we wanted them to have everything that the folks on the face-to-face end were having as well. So that was kind of what got us started. Okay, this is a lot. And as I'm listening to this, one of the things we're hoping to do is say, okay, if you're interested in implementing a telehealth program, here are these big pieces you can do. Now, what I heard from you, if I I think I have this right, is number one, location. It has to be a location with a solid internet access, which can be maybe a library or a community center or something like that. That's step number one. And then the other two things I heard from you were within logistics, it's the technology which is on your internet connection, and also choosing some way to communicate, which you guys chose Zoom and really seem to like it. And then it's also like the consent and the booklets and materials all related to logistics. And those might be a little bit different, or maybe you have to do something a little bit different if it's through a telehealth program. Yes. One thing that we started out, you had to realize that when we did this Harlan class, We were dealing with a group of people together in one location. So we were able to take the materials that we normally use for class and actually get them to Harlan. I actually took them over there to Harlan for the first class. So that's a little bit different than if you're doing just strictly an online class. The way that we did our class, the first class that we did in Harlan was that we had a live class in Somerset, and then two hours away, about 100 miles away, we had a group of people that came together there at the Extension Office in Harlan County. So everything that my people had in my live class, I was able to replicate that for my people in Harlan County. Now, the first time that we did do the class, I went to Harlan because I was scared to death that we were going to have a group of people together And our technology was going to fail. And I just could not stand the thought of them, you know, because we had 25 people. We had 25 people in Harlan. And I just could not stand it knowing we had that many people signed up that something was going to fail. And I was going to jump in and just teach class if that failed. And I had another educator teaching the class in Somerset. But it actually went well. But with that said, the materials that we started out with were the exact same material. So whatever you use, if anyone's thinking about doing this, The materials that you're using in your class, how are you going to be able to get that via telehealth? Is it going to be a group of people that are together, maybe at a doctor's office or a library, someplace like that, that you can actually get those materials to so that they have hands-on? 
or if you're doing just a telehealth, just a technology-based class, how can you get those materials to them or next best? What's the next best way that you can get those materials to them so that they feel like they have everything that you're going over? Boy, they are lucky to have you driving all that way 100 miles to deliver that. But I guess if it's a program that it's like your baby, of course you're going to do that. If I can bring up as I'm listening to you, I'm not sure if it's really clear to everybody that you actually had a live class and then you had this telehealth class happening 100 miles away, both at the same time. And I think that's a perfect example as we talk about expanding reach and you know, and only 5% of the population with diabetes is receiving education, this is really a way to expand that reach. But Jamie, I would love to hear, just because I've worked with you for this past year, if you're willing to share, I know you've had some challenges throughout this program, and people are going to face challenges anytime they start implementing new technology. You've just handled it so gracefully. Wondering if you could share some of those challenges. I'd be glad to. I always feel like that if anybody can learn from my mistakes and not make the same crazy mistakes that I've made, that it's a definitely a win. First of all, y'all, I had to learn how to use Zoom. Like I said, I mean, I might have done a Zoom meeting maybe once before this. And of course, my IT guru, you know, he suggested Zoom. So I thought, sure, we'll do Zoom. Well, as you know, in our crazy world of how that, you know, sometimes things don't work out the way we plan, by the time we had actually decided, okay, we're getting ready to start piloting this, my IT person had left and no longer worked for us. Oh, no. Yeah. And to top it off, our new IT person didn't know how to use Zoom. So it was like, okay, I've got this ball rolling. So I've got to keep pushing the ball. So I sat down and watched Zoom tutorials online one weekend to figure out how to use it. So with that said, if I can do this, anyone can do this. And I had to learn how to use all of it. I mean, I had to learn how to set up the meetings, how to share my screen, how to let people in the class. I mean, and it's so simple. It is, I don't mean to make it sound hard at all. It is very, very simple, but I didn't have anybody to show me. So I, I did use the tutorials on Zoom, which are very informative. And like I said, if I can do this, anyone can do this. One thing that was kind of funny, and of course, my administrator was sitting right beside me. I was trying to show him the Zoom. And so it was the first time I'd ever hooked up my eyeball camera no, I take that back. It was the second time I had used my eyeball camera because the first time that I played with it and got it to work. So I was trying to show him how this technology was going to work. Well, my eyeball camera wouldn't work. And I was just torn up like a jar of crap. I could not figure out what was wrong. And then I realized I hadn't plugged it in. So here again, <laughs> if I can do this, anybody can do it. But we, like I said, we figured it out. But some things that we did learn, and it's stuff that you don't think about. You know, it's just things that you do when you teach class. But when you've got that camera there in front of you, you know, one of the first things is, you know, you've got to be looking into that camera frequently to make that distance class feel like that they're engaged. I almost wanted to put eyelashes or something on my camera so that I could actually look at it. You know, but making sure that you're engaging that camera and that it's at the good height. You know, that it is a good height so that the people at the distant site feel like that you're making, you know, pretty much direct eye contact with them. So you kind of have to figure out where that sweet spot is. Another thing that we had to figure out 
was there's a little area that if you walk out of, you're out of the view of the camera. So it's just kind of like you disappeared. So we had to put tape on the floor to keep us in a box so that we wouldn't step out of that view. Um, some other things that we learned, I mean, all of us that have teach class, you know, you always have somebody that's kind of a big talker. But if you have somebody at a distant site, that is really distracting for them. It can be very disengaging. And that first class that I was in Harlan, well, there was somebody in class that kept asking questions, and I was frantically texting the instructor and emailing my secretary to go in there and tell that instructor to have them hold the questions because, you know, it's really disengaging and it's distracting and we don't like it on our end. So we learned by that. So we learned that we had to tell people from the very beginning, you know, please jot down your questions and we're going to have gobs and gobs of times open to ask those questions. And we even added question slides. I mean, lots and lots of stop and break question slides. Like after every single topic, we we would stop and ask for questions at that time. So we'd have time to discuss them and it would kind of hold off. And honestly, we kept doing this over and over and over. And by the last class, people kind of had kind of got it. That's what we needed to be doing. Another thing that we learned uh, that was really helpful for us is we would share our screen and of course we had that camera in front of us, but we never really were exactly sure what the participant on their end was saying. So we ended up purchasing some small iPads and we actually logged into the class as a participant and set them up behind the camera so that when I look straight ahead, I'm seeing what the participant is seeing. And that way, if I need to move a little bit or if I'm not showing things clearly, I can actually do that. And I'm a big one that talks with my hands. They're going right now. And I know you can't see them, but I, I talk with my hands. <laughs> and sometimes that's good and sometimes that bad. it's bad. So if you've got that little iPad, you're seeing what they're seeing. You can tell that you look like you're getting ready to try to fly away if you're using your hands too much. Another thing that we had to do, we had to practice holding our teaching tools up to the camera. You know, little things that you don't think about, but just trying to get them where that they could be seen clearly by the participants at the distance end. That was something that you know, we just kind of had to learn what was the good distance, you know, so that they were seen clearly. Some other things, too, that we know have noticed, and we didn't realize that before. Our classes for our DSMES, we do four classes. Each of them are two and a half hours long. So it's a total of 10 hours of education. But that's a long time. And we usually allow a couple of breaks during our classes for our live classes. But if you've got somebody that's sitting there looking at a screen, that's really a long time. So we have learned over the course of time that every 30 minutes, we need to have a five minute break just to encourage people to get up. I mean, we need to be encouraging people to be more mobile anyway and not have long periods of setting, but especially if they're sitting there looking at a screen because it can get pretty boring. Even if the instructor is maybe trying to do cartwheels and be really energetic and engaging, it still gets a little boring sitting there. It's interesting listening to you talk through all of these challenges because they're not just challenges that you're having, they're challenges on the participants end too. And I sometimes think we forget about that. You know, we get really wrapped up in doing something new and how scary it is to do something new. And we have to realize that on the other end, it's scary for them too. And they're learning at the same time. So it's really neat to hear it. So two things I have to say, one, I'm a hand talker too. So I can hear your hands moving as we're talking. I love it. 
<laughs> and the other thing is I loved hearing that no matter what, all of these challenges, you guys never stopped. You just persisted. You kept moving. So that makes me think about, you know, where do you guys want to go now? Where do you see your program going? We just want to keep expanding this. We actually have done some tweaking. You know, tweaking is always good. We try to do our continuous quality improvement and, and look at what worked, what didn't work, and what possibly can we do better. For the second series in Harlan, we decided to do it strictly telehealth, no live class. We brainstormed and decided that maybe the people at the distance and didn't ask hardly as many questions as they would have liked to. Maybe we can make this a little bit better, more personable for them. So for the second series, we did it strictly telehealth, no live class, which honestly is the educator. I loved this. I absolutely loved this. I sat at my desk with all my teaching stuff. It looked like a bomb had gone off on my desk. I had all my teaching stuff within arm's reach, and I spoke directly to the class. And and I truly feel like that they felt like they were getting a more personalized educational opportunity. And I did see them asking more questions in the second session than I did the first. Now, granted, the first session, we had 25 people attend. and the second session, we just had six. So, you know, that was a change. Of course, it was new education the first time. And honestly, probably the six is more realistic for a class in a county of that size. Because of this, we felt like it went well. We have decided to offer a strictly telehealth class in our district because that's kind of our goal to start with. We kind of went a little techy. We tried to get more techy. We've added a QR code to our class schedule so people can sign up electronically. And we also had all of our class registrations forms, the assessment form, the, the HIPAA form, the uh, release of information form, all of those things. We had those tweaked so that they could be completed online. So that we were trying to get more technology oriented. The first class that we did in the district was offered at night. So people were actually participating from their homes. Now, Honestly, I was disappointed. Our attendance wasn't very good for this. We only had three people participate, plus our two evaluators. We have two precious evaluators that have been through all these classes with us. And I know they're so tired of hearing me, they could croak. But they were on class with me. I think I just, I was disappointed in the attendance. I had 10 people signed up. Only three ended up participating. And those of us that teach class know this is what happens a lot of time face-to-face. You'll be so excited because you've got a good crew signed up and you'll get there. And it's like, where is everybody? You know, they said they were coming. But we haven't given up. We're offering two more series that are strictly telehealth this spring at different times of the day. We wanted to make sure that the time of day that we offered wasn't a barrier because it was from 5 to 7.30 Central Time. And that would be 6 to 8.30 Eastern time. Because in our district, we're one of these crazy places. We have two different time zones in, in our 10 counties. But we haven't given up. So we're going to try this and see how this goes. Because this has been great for us as far as distance and traveling. So we want this to work. And we want to give it our best shot. You know, I bet you that timing thing might be something that happens so frequently in these programs that when you're trying to reach a population, it takes a little bit of trial and error until you you know, you hit that sweet spot. But I also wanted to say, I loved when you kicked this off and said, 
that, you know, in the second round that you were able to connect with people because that's really the heart and soul of diabetes care and education. And it's what we want to do. You know, Jamie, I hate to do this, but we only have two minutes left, I think, tops. So if you could maybe let the listeners out there know, what would be your advice, your quick two-minute advice in getting a program like this started? First of all, if I can do it, anybody can do it. Don't let the technology end be a deterrent for you to do this. It has saved us so much time as far as travel time set up, breakdown, and it makes the education so much more accessible for our community because individuals can join from a class from home, basically anywhere, using their phone, their tablet, or their computer. And ironically, you all, we've had really positive feedback from our telehealth classes. I mean, realistically, people's going to prefer a face-to-face, but our folks said that they did learn and they did enjoy the telehealth classes. And as far as convenience, I have taught these classes when I've had to be out of town at meetings. I've done them from my hotel room. I just hopped online and taught the class. So that can be a good thing or a bad thing. But more than anything, I want to say this is the age we live in. And we've got to figure out a way to meet the needs of people who are living with diabetes in this crazy, busy world that we're living in. And we know that only about 5% of people with diabetes are getting the diabetes education that they need. And I truly think that telehealth is one way that we can do this. Jamie, those are great words of advice. And if I can say, as we end this up here, it has truly been a pleasure to work with you and your whole team throughout this year. And I can't wait to see where you guys go with this program. It's really exciting. Thank you. And we are so excited to be a part of this. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of The Huddle, Conversations with the Diabetes Care Team. Today, we heard from Jamie Lee on the challenges of starting a telehealth program and what she did to address them. We learned that before starting a telehealth program, it's important to consider the location, internet connection, and what resources you'll need. Look at the class from the attendee's perspective and make sure they can experience it as they would in a physical setting. And finally, remember that perseverance and adaptability are key. Jamie constantly evaluated her program to look for ways to improve the experience for attendees and reach those who most need telehealth services. Be willing to pivot when things aren't working and ask questions. If you are an ADCES member, Check out adcesconnect.org to see what others are doing in their telehealth programs with our communities of interest. The information in this podcast is for informational purposes only and may not be appropriate or applicable for your individual circumstances. This podcast does not provide medical or professional advice and is not a substitute for consultation with a healthcare professional. Please consult your healthcare professional for any medical questions.